Welcome back, dear listeners. This whole month, we've been looking at the different types of publishing in Romancelandia. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the world of indie pubs, as well as having a candid discussion about some big issues and the pros and cons within the publishing sphere. Sound interesting? Well, then turn your volume up and let's get that tape rolling. Hey there, romance nerds! Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jackie. Yes. Why should you not write a book on penguins? (laughs) Why? Because writing a book on paper is so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it says about me if I'm just easily amused or if you are just a master. I mean, you are a master joke finder. It is hilarious. That was a good one. And it is a good segue into our look on all kinds of writing, paper and computer screen yeah and also because you know penguin random house is totally one of the big four publishers oh, i was also thinking about the baby penguins in syracuse <gasps> they so cute i would write on that penguin penguin i might kill it though i just want to squish it and don't snuggle no, it. no 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 you'll it'll die it looks very fragile it's all fluffy it's a fluff ball okay. i don't think his dads would be very happy with you no 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 Because, yeah, dads, I said it. Go Google it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get this show on the road here. Firstly, in this episode, I really wanted to go into some detail on what it means to be an indie or a non-traditionally published author. And, of course, that requires that we get a definition first. I'm sorry we're going to get all the dry stuff out of the way, and then we'll get to the really interesting discussion, I swear. When we say indie, what we mean is independent publishing. This is typically taken as an author who is published, yet has done so through means that aren't like those we described in the last episode. As a brief recap, a traditionally published author will usually have gone through a rigorous set of hoops involving getting an agent, going to market with their manuscript, signing a deal with a publisher, and enduring a long series of in-depth editing and marketing before their book is released to the general public. On the opposite side of the spectrum, indie authors may not be agented, and most likely they don't have a deal with a publisher. Now, with that being said, there's a huge caveat. There are as many different types of publishing out there as there are different types of authors. So independent publishing actually covers a broad spectrum beyond just the dichotomy of agented to unagented and publisher to no publisher. What I'm going to do right now is to just give you a very general general feel of what it looks like to be a very general kind of indie author, but just keep in mind that there are, like I said, so many different models of publishing in today's world. If you're interested in hearing firsthand accounts of some of these different models, go listen to all of our mini-sodes coming out this month where we interviewed different authors who publish along the spectrum. They had some really amazing advice and insight into the different kinds of publishing, plus all their books sounded really good, and I definitely ordered a bunch of them for the library. Okay, back to indie publishing. To use a definition from the Alliance of Independent Authors, quote, an indie author is a writer who self-publishes their own work and retains control of their publishing rights. Unlike traditionally published authors who sign exclusive deals with a single trade publisher or self-publishing service, indie authors are relatively independent. They remain the creative director of their own books and their own publishing business, end quote. 
I think that that's one of the biggest appeals to indie publishing, the fact that the author retains creative control over their content. With traditional publishing, once the manuscript is delivered to the publisher, unless the author is like James Patterson or Daniel Steele, the author has very little control over the physical appearance of their book, and they have very little say over the physical appearance of their book. The traditional publishing house, like we talked about in our interview with Carrie Nichols, a.k.a. Carol Opelinski, go listen to that mini-sode, is the one who creates the cover, the layout, the design, and it's all so that it appeals to their brand of readers. Think of Harlequin covers, right? They're all synonymous with Photoshop characters on the front and purple covers, and they're very easily identifiable, and that's for a reason. It's their market. That's so you know that it's a Harlequin. With indie authors... The authors themselves are the ones fronting the money from the get-go. They get to hire the cover designer if they're hiring someone. They get to decide the layout, the font, etc. And they get to choose their own release dates. It's very empowering, if not slightly stressful. Okay, so just like with traditional pubs, let's talk about the basic format of getting published independently or with self-publishing. Firstly, again, the author writes a book. I'm sorry, you you really actually have to write a book in order to be a published author. I think that's like the one rule. Unless you go ghostwriting. It's not illegal. It's not illegal. Christy and Soraya, we're looking at you. Mm. Um, <laughs> the author, moving on. The author, if they're confident, can then edit the book themselves. Or it's generally more recommended that they hire an outside editor to help them polish their manuscript until it's ready for public consumption. This can be one, two, three, six, twenty edits before it is ready from that first draft up until it's ready to put out to the world. If the author is handling sensitive topics, for instance, cultural or historical material that they themselves do not hold as part of their own lived experience, then it's also recommended that they get sensitivity readers. And like Jen pointed out to me in our notes, this is not necessarily just for indie authors. Traditionally published authors and authors across the spectrum do this as well. I mean, it's getting really popular. It is. I feel like I keep reading author interviews that talk about how they employ these people because it, it it covers them and it also makes yeah. them write a better story. Yeah, it's also smart. <laughs> yeah, it's very smart. Um, like I said, if it's not part of your lived experience, then you really need somebody to tell you mm-hmm. if you're being insensitive. I mean, there's a lot of research you can do, but yeah. there's things you're not going to get all the time until somebody from that world reads the book. I think I was reading an interview from Julie Murphy, I'm pretty sure, who mentioned she used something like six sensitivity readers for mm. one book. Yeah. She used a ton because she decided she needed somebody to read it for her um the the sexual orientation Mm. Uh, i think the character was a certain body type she wanted to make sure was okay was a certain race so she employed like multiple ones to make sure that she got it right with her book yeah or even closer to home in Mm. my book i have a tarot scene and while yes i do like personally practice tarot and like i've done minimal research i wanted to make sure that i wasn't completely like sticking my foot in my mouth so i contacted a professional tarot reader i sent them the scene and i was like hey does this make sense am i lying i wasn't they were happy with it so we're good to go there but yeah so sensitivity sensitivity readers not just for indie pubs it's for publications across the board and like jen said Mm -hmm. it's getting much more popular as we move in today's world um But with indie pubs, it is more along the author's duty to find those sensitivity readers. It depends. I think if you're Nora Roberts, the publisher is going to do anything to bother you. Julie Murphy, though, I think she did take the the ownership and finding those people. Right. Who paid for it? I don't know. That's a good question. That's another good question. I mean, indie, it's all on you. Yeah. But publishers, I think especially because they do not need a backlash if it turns out to be something bad. So I think it's something they themselves are investing in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because there has been some stories. <laughs> yes, there has been. There was one indie pub that came out February 14th, and I was so excited for it. Um, and the author was, like, huge on TikTok. Like, she made herself and her story well-known. It was a fantasy romance. It was sapphic, and it was, like, it was dark, and it ended up being a love triangle, too. But the author, she had some shady stuff go on, and she didn't employ a very good editor, and mm-hmm. she didn't employ sensitivity readers, and so there were issues with race. There was issues with editing. There were issues with how she treated her beta readers. Mm. And anyways, speaking of beta readers, <laughs> a beta reader is also highly recommended pre-publication for an indie author and for, again, traditionally published authors. But um, a beta reader is somebody who reads, I guess you could say like beta mode. Mm -hmm. They read the copy that comes before the major edits. They read it to make sure pretty much that it makes sense. They read the draft that um, might still need some polishing, but they really look at issues of continuity, storyline, plot holes, um, general plot issues, character issues, sensitivity things, etc. They are typically separated from sensitivity readers, but you can have a sensitivity reader who is a beta reader. Mm. Okay. Makes sense? Cool. Cool. Yeah. Moving on. Then, when the author has the manuscript polished and ready to go, they're going to need a cover. There's a lot of different options for cover design, especially in a technological world like today. From ready-to-buy templates from sites such as Canva, um, you can also attempt to make your own cover using... um, Photoshop, or you can use, I don't know, photo editing things. You guys know. Um, You can also have a friend or a family member make you a cover if you feel that they will give you the cover that you want. Go for it. Or you can go so far as to commission as a designer or an artist to create a cover for you. It all depends on your budget and the level of artwork you want for your book. So the author, after they have the cover, they have their sensitivity and beta readers, and it's nice and edited, they need to figure out how they want to distribute their book. Ideally, you will have been thinking about this the entire time, and you're not going to be like, okay, now let's distribute. No, you need to really be planning way far in advance. And just like there are so many options in how to publish, there are numerous options in how you want to distribute. Since the author is working as the publishing house and the marketing team in one, they're going to generally just be using a middleman of sorts to do the distribution of their book for them. So first off, you have to figure out what format you want. Do you want it to be just available as an ebook? If so, then one of the most popular options out there, at least here in the United States and most likely in the UK as well, is Kindle Direct Publishing, which is a free proprietary software that all Kindle published authors use to distribute their books. Caveat to that, though, is that the ebook can then only be distributed really through Amazon. If you want it to be available through like Apple, Nook, or Kobo, you have to use a separate distribution software such as draft digital or Smashwords or contact distributors directly and sell it to them, sell the book to them directly. Again, there's a bunch of articles in the show notes. If you're really invested and curious, go give it a click and check it out. And what about physical copies? Do you want paperbacks or hardbacks to be available to the world? Well, you can also, again, use KDP and select options for paperback and hardback distribution. But if you want your book in bookstores like Barnes & Noble or in libraries, then you need to use a different wholesale distributor like Ingram Spark. You'll pay a nominal fee to upload your manuscript to them with all of its information, formatting, and cover, and they'll do print-on-demand runs. They do also get a 
portion of your royalty. Of course, you know, they are using their money to print it for you and to distribute it for you. So you are going to have to figure out a deal with them that you will get some of the money because obviously you're the author, you retain rights, but they will also get some of the money because, you know, they're putting effort into your book for you. With all that being explained, there's even more options beyond that. Options upon options upon options upon options and try not to get overwhelmed. But hey, congratulations. Your book is out there and you're a published author. To us, it doesn't matter if you're indie pubbed, self-pubbed, hybrid pubbed, or traditionally pubbed. You wrote a book. You are an author. Yay! Yay! Huzzah! You did the thing. Good job. Good job. Of course, there's so much more to publishing, self-publishing, and indie publishing beyond this. And what I've just run you through is vastly simplified. I didn't even dare to touch on marketing because that's a beast of its own nature, especially with social media as it is today. Regardless, each step of your publishing journey requires forethought and thinking and planning. And that's all putting your cost up front before you've even gotten your book into the hands of readers. Doing self and indie publishing, it's very easy to see why publishers and agents are so picky about the books that they publish. The fees that can be associated with publishing, marketing, and even just designing your book can be prohibitive if you have no guarantee of return on investment. That's not to say that publishing your book can't be done cost effectively. Your publishing journey can be as grand as your budget will allow. For instance, cover design can take you all the way from the cost of free if you're doing it yourself and say you just want a sketch that maybe your son did. Cool. That's your cover. It can take you all the way into the thousands um, just for one cover and for the licensing of that one cover. If we're going for transparency, for instance, I'll say that my publishing journey for my first book all entailed is costing me about $1,500, which includes editing, cover design, interior design, layout, ISBNs, barcodes, copyright, and upload fees for one book. Am I scared it's going to flop and I'll be out a chunk of chains? Yeah, I am definitely pooping my pants. I'm terrified. (laughs) But... I personally keep looking at it as if I'm investing in a piece of art, and that has definitely helped me justify what, to me, is spending a lot of money. The upside to all of this is that not only are you retaining all of your creative control for your book as an indie pub author, but you are the one receiving the lion's share of the profit. Hopefully there's a profit. <laughs> I hope for you that there is a profit. Um, and you're receiving it right off the bat without waiting for that return above your advance like Christina Lauren was talking about in our last episode. Moving on, I think we've established that if you're in the right mindset, if you're motivated and at least somewhat organized and ready to put in the work, self-publishing, indie publishing is definitely an option for you. Before we move on into the discussion of the benefits of self-publishing versus traditional publishing, I did want to briefly mention a movement called hybrid publishing. To use Writer's Digest's definition, hybrid publishing is an emerging area that occupies the middle ground between traditional and self-publishing, and therefore includes many different publishing models. Within this model, the author carries the cost and the financial risk of publishing their book. They're investing their own capital in the process. But because you, the author, at least in some capacity, are working with a publishing professional, it is the professional, not you, who carries the task of transforming your Word document into an object readers can buy and consume. Hybrid publishing is still contracted through a publishing house. It's generally a small publishing house or an independent book press that doesn't require you, the author, to be agented, typically. Um, They accept submissions just like an agent would um, in traditional publishing, and the small publishing house will accept or deny you based on your manuscript's merit. 
This means you do still run the same risk as you do with traditional publishing, where you are going to be rejected because the press may feel they cannot market and sell your book adequately. Um, Jane Friedman does a really good job of breaking this down. And honestly, she breaks down the whole publishing sphere really well on her blog, janefriedman.com. Again, linked in the show notes. Um, I've linked multiple articles from her. Just go ahead, give them a read. They explain it much better than I ever could. One article I did read compared hybrid publishing to hiring a contractor for your house. Um, you know the general design you want and you're paying for the outcome, but you are hiring a professional to do all the work and all the remodeling for you so that you can just enjoy your house at the very end. The biggest worry when it comes to hybrid publishing is the cost, and especially if you get attached to something called a vanity press. We do not like vanity presses. These presses are shifty little boogers, and they're trying to hide themselves under the hybrid model. Now, not all vanity presses are bad, but... The majority of them just kind of give like a skeeve ball atmosphere to the whole affair. Listeners be warned, they are not the same thing as a hybrid publishing model. A true hybrid publisher is going to have experience. They're going to have vetting under their belt. They will be upfront about their costs from the get-go. Like even before you submit, they'll be like, these are the costs that are associated if you ac- if we accept you into our publishing house. And they will generally have a variety of packages based on the type of services that you, the author, want to pursue with the press. This can be anything from as simple as just layout and editing all the way up to doing the whole thing entirely for you. But again, you're the one paying for it, unlike in traditional pubs. But a vanity press is going to pull yield bait and switch on you. They're going to act like a hybrid press, taking submissions and asking for full manuscripts. But then they'll come back at you after you've submitted your manuscript and say, oh, sorry, your manuscript doesn't fit the criteria for our traditional publishing. But if you pay XXX amount, we can get you published under our hybrid publishing model. They will call it something different besides hybrid publishing. Um, I have to admit that I myself got embroiled with a vanity press. And Jen, just take a guess at how much they wanted from me to publish my book. The same book I've been talking about. Just pick a number. Throw it at the wall. $8,000. $12,000. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You heard that. $12,000 for to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. which I on my own had, like I've just said. Wait, well, so I'm still confused. So like, what were they offering you though? They were offering me the whole shebang. So okay, they were for offering 12, me. Hi everyone. Post editing Jackie coming at you. I wanted to jump in here really quick because when Jen and I were recording, I didn't really have a concise or good answer for her about why vanity presses were necessarily bad. Um, I have done a lot more research since outside of my own experience, and the general consensus is that, yes, vanity presses are bad, and they are scams with one raison d'etre, I guess you could say, and that is to take the author's money. Um, A lot of the consensus is that they do offer services that authors need, you know, like uh, editing, formatting, cover design, and marketing, Um, but Vanity presses are often outsourcing this work to the lowest bidder so that the vanity press will retain the largest amount possible without having to fork over their own cash that they got from you. So say, like I said, the vanity press wanted to charge me $12,000, right? They could outsource that editing for $500 and they're retaining how much of that? $11,500. That's rough math. And of course, there's other fees associated, but you get where I'm going with this. Um, Another common issue that people agree on with vanity presses is 
the profit margin and the fact that they also prey on authors um <laughs> how best to put this insecurity i will say authors insecurity so with the profit margin um as a self-published author, you will generally keep the ma vast majority of royalties earned in book sales. We'll talk about that later on when we talk about pros and cons of self-publishing versus traditionally publishing. Um, unfortunately, with vanity pressing, this isn't really always the case. Vanity publishers want to make sure that they don't lose money, right? They're, they're a smaller company, company in quotation marks, that is seeking to keep money, that's seeking to make a living. Um, and so in order to turn a profit they have to make money on the back end. So they will still take a percentage of your sales and they will charge you your author cost up front, which while lower than retail costs will still include a higher than normal markup. This is in comparison to say, if you just published on your own, um, you are retaining the majority of your royalties and any publishing fees associated with self-publishing self are going to be lower than with... Um, with vanity presses. In addition to that, of course, there is the idea of they're, they're appealing to author's vanity, which is why they're called vanity presses. You know, they come at you with a, we'd love to publish your book. Um, and they kind of validate the book and the author, which can be really reassuring <laughs> and it really elicits excitement and pride for the author. But then they come back at you with this really high price point and they're delivering subpar quality. And there's just there's just a lot of issues. I've included a lot of show notes or a lot of links in the show notes for you to look through. A lot of other people who have said it a lot better than I have, especially in the following argument you'll hear Jen and me say, or you'll hear Jen and me have, um, so go ahead, take a look at the show notes, do some research, and make up your own mind. All right, let's get back to it. The same thing that I got for fifteen hundred, okay. which is really decent quality editing. Uh huh. It's a cover. It's layout. It's uploading mm -hmm. fees. It's ISBNs. It's barcodes because yes, you do have to pay for ISBN yeah. and barcodes and all that jazz. It's a seven hundred percent increase through this specific vanity press that I contacted. yeah. But what are they offering you for that money? They are offering me. The layout, the editing, okay. the cover design. I'm trying to remember because this was months ago at this so point. So it's just more expensive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, okay, listen. So I guess I don't understand why that's a vanity press and the other one is a hybrid. Because it still sounds like the same thing. So like what were they baiting and switching you on? They're acting in a way that is just not industry professional, okay. I guess is the biggest thing. And they're called the vanity press because they are acting like a hybrid like so so they're mean hybrids they're mean hybrids they aren't experienced okay a lot of times they're new um and a lot of times they're conflating their prices okay they do turn out books mm -hmm. in the end and they do have at least sometimes authors under their belt but they have no proven record that they are able to sell books mm -hmm. they have no proven record that they have books anywhere like distributed that they have reviews, that they so have actual authors. Are you kind of like taking a chance on them, but they're charging you like they have yeah. the experience and yes. like they can give these guarantees? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So like with an inexperienced one, you should be paying the 15000 It depends. Okay. It really depends. But instead, they're charging you twelve. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Sure. And it's called, I really think it's called vanity because they're like appealing to your vanity mm -hmm. as an author. They're like, yes, yeah, so we want to publish you. We definitely want to like help you get your book out mm -hmm. there. You just have to pay us this one fee and this just covers everything you'll need to do. Don't worry about it. Jen, don't worry about it. We'll do everything mm -hmm. for you. Just give us this money. Okay. That's it. And then later it's more money? Nope. Later, 
as far as I know that that's it. Okay. But it's still, it's the fact that you can do this as cost effectively as you want. Mm -hmm. And then they're charging this just outrageous. Seemingly to me, it's a lot of money. it's just inflated. (laughs) Yeah. And they don't have the experience to back it up. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Again, if there's a vanity press listening to this or somebody has more experience with vanity presses, tell me why I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I just have this one vastly annoying bug annoying me Mm -hmm. from this one experience. But from what I've talked, who I've talked to in the publishing world as well, there's been a lot of similar experiences and a lot of general dislike for vanity presses. Okay, cool. Okay, moving on. So yeah, if hybrid publishing, if hybrid presses sounds like something that you're interested in, um, yeah, go for it. This is your publishing journey. You choose the path you take. It's not on us to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Like there's no right answer in publishing, right? Maybe vanity presses are the wrong answer. But hey, if they get your book out there and you're happy with it, then good for you. Happy for you. And that brings us perfectly to our next topic of discussion, pros, cons, and why should you consider it? Let's take a look at all the three publishing models in general, traditional, hybrid, and independent or self-publishing, and kind of just weigh them against each other briefly. Before we start, I'll say again that really there's no correct or incorrect answer. The way the book world is today, there's a publishing model that fits everyone's needs differently, and the only correct answer is what feels best for you, the author and the owner of your book. So Jen... Based on our discussion of the three general models over this episode and the past episode, do you have any hot takes on the matter at hand? I feel kind of bad for indie. Because mm. as much as it's being accepted, I keep reading about all these bad faith practices, and mm-hmm. it feels very much like an uphill battle if you're just getting started. Yeah. I think at one point it had been really, really profitable, and then on the other hand, really, really easy to get away with some shady stuff. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore, so I feel like if you decide to go that indie route, as opposed to the traditional or even the hybrid, I do feel like you're going to struggle way more probably. I know we had listened to that one traditional author who talked about how, you know, it took her two years to write a book that was going to be sold for basically one month. That was Carrie Nichols, With Carol right? Nichols, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I get that that was super frustrating, but it also probably helped her make a better book. She had a, yeah. lot, of, she had a lot of help along the way. Indie, I don't know. I keep reading. So... I've read a lot of controversies with things like authors forming these kind of author groups and mm. then they do things like they mass buy each other's books mm. to inflate the, the price. They employ clickbait farms, which is when you hire somebody with a thousand fake profiles to buy that book and again, get it up in the list. They buy reviews. They do a lot of really shady things. If you know anything about the Kindle model, you know, book stuffing is a big problem mm-hmm. with Kindle Unlimited authors get paid by page so every page the reader flips through they get i think it's like some it's like little fraction of a cent. Yeah. it's a fraction of a cent so if you get it all the way of like a normal kind of kindle book it's you maybe make two dollars they are allowed to have up to 300 pages so if you get all the way to the end of that book they earn 13 dollars and 40 cents it is longer now it is longer now okay yeah. so i was looking at articles from a little bit later so I feel like there's a lot of problems with people still stuffing the books. That yeah. means they put in as much content as possible. They do like these tricky things to try to get you all the way to the back as quickly as possible. It feels really, really hard to be indie. So I understand why traditional publishing is still such a draw and is such a... It's not easy, obviously, to go that way. But I understand why you, it's probably 
you're probably better off in the long run. Unless you're going to be somebody like Ruby Dixon, who really had to climb, mm. who really needed this whole backlog of items for people to go through and then could go viral on TikTok. I don't know how people get a foothold otherwise in these industries. I don't know if I entirely agree, at least with the longevity statement, mm-hmm. because I'm really thinking, for instance, of Tessa Dare, okay. who is a traditionally published um, romance author. She writes Regencies. She did get started in the fanfic sphere, sphere, but she got picked up by a traditional author with her Regency romances. And she was publishing like one or two a year yeah. for a good period. And then her last book in the Duchess Meets Duke or whatever the title the for the series. Bride Bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to come out in 2018, 2019. And there's been some, we don't know, but there's been something going on with the publisher where her contract is mm-hmm. like indefinitely on yeah. hold. I mean, publishers can be awful too. Yeah. Like you can't totally trust the publisher 100% probably. I know there's been issues. I've Some of my favorite authors have talked about issues with the publishers and they've had to jump ship or they've had to abandon series and try to get their rights back in other ways. But it just feels like it's more secretive, I think, in the indie space. It just creeps me out to have like these secret writing groups. So mm. specifically, the thing I'm most thinking of is this one author named Chance Carter, who, full disclosure, I did read a couple, and he marketed himself as a bad boy writing bad boy romance. And yeah, he, he started this whole scheme where it was like a whole little author, author group. They called themselves um, book clickers, and it was just all these strategies for how they could get ahead. And they all did kind of like weird stuff and they all ended up getting wiped out from Amazon when it was found out. And I don't know. I think that aspect of it being more anonymous creeps me out. Mm. But obviously publishers suck too. Like (laughs) they all suck. You have to kind of just take your best gamble. Well, it's like Alexa Riley who got kicked off of Amazon and there was some stuff there. there. I don't know. I've seen a lot of, I've seen some Twitter discourse of like she was, they were maybe stealing some stuff, but maybe they weren't. But it's hard because you know what? A lot of, one of the authors I read the blog a lot because she's very honest, I think. At least I think she's honest. She's very maybe um, transparent. Yeah. She gives a lot of info about her own publishing journey is uh, Penelope Bloom, who I've talked about a couple of times. Yeah. She got in trouble for this book that she had talked really happily about she was really happy to put this book out and then she had was forced to take it down because she got a lot of plagiarizing accusations mm. against um L- lj shine apparently wrote oh. a very sim- yeah apparently she had written a very similar anti-bullying book oh so i you know i don't know what the story is i did not get a chance to read either of the books before the book was taken down but it's something that kind of happens a lot it's it's we've talked about this before sometimes the genres just overlap in a way that's like hard to prove but it's also kind of like maybe maybe there's something here it can be very difficult to narrow in on if this is plagiarized if there's a problem i don't know it really depends yeah we talked about it in our scandals episode the issues of there's really nobody double checking indie pub books you have to rely it's a big problem on the the oh what's the word i'm thinking of reputation and reputability i guess of mm-hmm. the author and sometimes you can go for amazon to yeah. fix stuff but like <laughs> but like look what happened to ruby back exactly. in what january she got accused of plagiarism yep, and, and amazon took just off. took everything took off. off yeah thankfully i mean all of us were like excuse you put mm-hmm. ruby back up but that's because she's a really beloved author at right. this point if it had been a couple years early in her career nobody yeah. probably would have cared no i mean there's still a bunch of authors that that does happen to yeah, like all the time when that happened i got into a bunch of discourses like good discourses with other authors on twitter and tiktok and they were like, yeah, no, my books have been taken down and I mm-hmm. keep sending pleas in and my friends send pleas in, but Amazon, the yeah. Zon just doesn't listen. But it's hard because they are expected to do something and yeah. it's very hard to know what to do. So I don't, I don't really know what the answer is. I think it, 
it very much depends on your own personal thing because I remember talking to Tracy too about how frustrating it was for her to work with the traditional and how she felt like she had no other choice but to go indie because she just couldn't do that again and trust another agent trust another publisher so I don't know I kind of like the the sound of a hybrid publisher Mm. I think that sounds kind of nice I'd have to look into how many actually create successful books like I can't say I've heard of any off the top of my head yeah I mean have they actually published anything good would something like like Swoon Reads be considered a vanity press no, I think that's more considered just a small press. Okay. Like, so there are a bunch of small presses, especially in romance that have been doing really well. And of mm-hmm. course, off the top of my head, I can't recall any. Um, but what's also fun is that a lot of indie pubbed authors will create their own publishing house. Mm-hmm. And this is different from a vanity press because they are creating their own and publishing only their own books through their own publishing house i think that's what zoe ellis did that's what we talked zoe about. zoe ellis did um the scandal episode. elise kova i think mm. did that didn't hopkins try that hopkins Holy? yeah i thought she did don't quote me on that maybe she just tried to trademark cocky i don't know she was in that group too by the way with the chance yeah. carter yeah. which was well, really funny chance carter had a lot of people yeah. um yeah so I don't know. Let's kind of look at just the the separate publishing markets independently, and we'll just talk about a couple like pros and cons that really stood out to me, mm-hmm. and we can I don't know we can have a chit chat, Jen. Okay. All right. So traditionally published pros that stood out to me were there's no cost for the author up front besides like the mental cost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, everything scary is taken care of, and once the author submits their manuscript and signs the contract with the publisher, they can sit back and not worry about the big details or like I said, the cost. Um, plus, they have other people doing the work for them when it comes to design and marketing. There's also industry professionals looking at your work, so you at least hope that it's going to be handled professionally and will be a certain quality when it's released, plus advances, which are not free money. We all know. Mm -hmm. But I think they're the big flashy thing. I mean, I think it's really important to have the good editor, and I think the reputation is important. Yeah. I mean, if a big publisher is backing you, like, you're pretty good. I feel like some of the books that are top of the list, no offense to the people who like these books, I feel like they got there because of the publishing backing, not necessarily yes. because of their own. James Patterson. And then, yeah, I mean, James Patterson, but I feel like some of these books, as good as they are, there are millions of books being published every year. Some of them got to the top just because the publishers are like, oh, wait, let's highlight that one. Yes. So I think that's definitely something you're not going to get from an indie I know indies, they rely a lot on Facebook ads and newsletters, and there are kind of ways like that to get your name out there, but it's nothing like what Simon & Schuster can do. Yeah. If they like you. Which can also be a con, because as the consumer, how do you know if a book is actually good, if or if the publishing house is just trying to make money? I feel like most people don't care about it. American Dirt. By Janine Cummings, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Came out two years ago now. Mm -hmm. It was marketed as one of the best selling. It's not a romance book, by the way. It was marketed as one of the best selling, like, have to read this literary Mm -hmm. fiction. It's about immigration and Mexican-Americans and all this. And Mexican-Americans and a lot of general readers read it. And like, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. And this should not be on the market. I think part of the problem was that with that one was maybe on the face of it, it was a good story. But the way it was marketed as being like, oh, this is the book about immigration you have to read i think it got too high of a pedestal yeah and then just some little dumb mistakes like the 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 author had a manicure done of the cover and they had these kind of like these table settings at the the dinners where 
you know how they have the celebrity dinner yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, look like a publishing there, blah, blah, blah. launch yeah like a publishing launch so they had like the actual concrete wall on the table which just they had a lot of bad looks there were a lot of reasons yeah. for why that book had such a big backlash yeah. so yeah maybe if you have a lot of publishers that don't really know what they're doing and what the actual pulse of the country is they're like yes this is the book on immigration and then people who actually know something are like no right i mean sometimes it's it's that kind of gatekeeping problem yeah plus traditional publishing as we keep saying is really hard to get into Mm -hmm. and it requires so much like mental gymnastics to get just even a foot in the door it requires a lot of patience and even in the end like we like we're gonna like you're going to hear in our interview upcoming with Tracy Brody there's no guarantee that you will even get published if Mm -hmm. you get an author or if you get an agent and even if you get an editor there's no guarantee I mean they still have so many blind spots there's also so many horror stories about like publishing houses lined with stacks of manuscripts that are Mm -hmm. agented and that we're like yeah we're gonna publish you and they're just languishing there Mm -hmm. and there's nothing the author can do because they're contracted Mm -hmm. gatekeeping like jen said also remains an issue there's still a lot of shady characters out there deciding what quote-unquote should be published and they've been there forever yeah i don't think there's a lot of turnover in publishing no i think they just linger a lot of um i mean (laughs) like we all hear about the don't get an mfa or don't get an english degree you'll never get a job Mm -hmm. i mean i mean you do what you want to do. If you want an English degree, go for it. If you want an MFA, go for it. But I mean, it's like in the archives world, which I tried to get into in the museum's world, you kind of got to wait for somebody to die Mm -hmm. and then you can have a job. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that there's just not as much turnover as there should be for an industry that needs to be as representative as it should be. And they miss so much stuff. Think about how popular Ruby Dixon was. There is no way they would have taken a chance on Ruby Dixon until she proved how popular she was. Yeah. Berkeley, I like to imagine, went begging to her. Even then, she needed TikTok to go viral. Yeah. Like, she had had a very steady amount of work. And I think she has been fairly popular for a very long time. She started off with the biker series. She did the bears. She did. She's done a lot of things. And I mean, she says that she is an author, even in her her professional life, like in the the life where she does not have the pen name. Ruby Dixon is apparently not her real name, so she still has connections, and she still couldn't like. Get she these has books an agent. Seriously, yeah. Like it wasn't until TikTok that they were like, "Oh, hey, we actually do want these." Yeah. I mean, I think she said they were for fun, but still, like, yeah. there is no way they would have taken a chance on them. No. Plus, if we talk about the big shiny things, the advances, mm-hmm. like Christina Lauren was talking about. And if you get a chance, go check out Victoria Aveyard on um, social media, like mm-hmm. Instagram and TikTok. She's very transparent about everything, like advances and money and deals and all that. She's amazing to listen to. Um, no one is ever going to ask for your advance back. And not that I'm aware of. Maybe there's some like breach of contract thing that you should be careful of but there's no guarantee of payment beyond that advance like Mm -hmm. if your book flops or if it doesn't continue to sell if it doesn't make beyond its advance then you're not going to get any additional income from that Mm -hmm. and if so say your book is sold say your book is sold for ten thousand dollars and um that is requisite on just like the hardback copies for two years i don't know that that sounds right to me and then after two years your book doesn't sell And you were originally like, I'm going to push for a paperback in a couple of years and then I can have more money from the paperback and then we can have audiobook sales and then we can have international rights. If your book doesn't sell in two years, then there's no extra income Mm -hmm. coming from that. Okay. Hybrid publishing. Pros for hybrid publishing. 
Someone else is still taking over the majority of the creative content, but you, the author, retain control to a degree and have a big part of the final say in your book. Mm. Um, the publishing house is, or the publishing professional is also handling, handling a lot of the distribution and editing. So there's still that level of professionalism within the process, like vetted professionalism. Plus, these smaller publishing houses generally have a higher acceptance rate and they don't always require an agent. Cons, however, sometimes it's hard to figure out who's legit and who's being shady. Um, more of the cost is due from you, the author, up front, um, just like if you were paying a contractor to publish your book. I mean, to me, this one doesn't sound that bad. No. I think it makes a lot of sense to take a lot of the risk on yourself. I don't know enough about hybrid publishing to know how effective it actually is. Yeah. I can't, like, if you could give me some books that they've actually done, maybe I, I could say if it's a good idea. I, I mean, if you just want your book published, go for it. Yeah. Also, I think a lot, for me, a lot of the reason that I didn't follow that was because there was a perceived higher cost mm -hmm. and it's more expensive. Like, even outside of the vanity presses, from what I was looking at, the different presses I was looking at, their packages were more expensive than what it would cost for mm -hmm. me to just publish on my own. And that is prohibitive to me. Um if I had all the money in the world, I would definitely go with a hybrid publisher and be like, take care of my book, make it pretty, publish it for me. Mm -hmm. But I can't and I can't afford the ones that I would trust. So mm -hmm. that's unfortunately a barrier. I just wish I knew how many books like even in the library were from yeah. hybrid presses. I don't know. I'm really curious about that. I think I'm looking at one right now with from Blood Nash, which is through, really? through Blue Box Isn't Publishing. She, Jennifer Armet Trout, whatever, Armin Trout. didn't she have enough sway from a real traditional though? It's a small press. I oh, okay. But here's the caveat. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's the one who owns the press. Oh, because the only books that are published okay. through it are her books and That'll like A it. Thousand and One Nights. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the correct answer to that. Okay. But that's that's what I think. I don't know. I don't think this one sounds too bad. No. I think I think it's a good option. I really mm -hmm. do. Just, I think if you just want something for your mom to buy and yeah. you want it to be nice and you don't really yeah. want to stress out and about it. And you can it, afford sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. So indie publishing, and this runs the gamut from self-publishing, like you're doing everything yourself all the way up to it. it's the professional look, professional quality, and you're paying for it and you're just formatting it all yourself. You're doing it independently of a publisher. Mm -hmm. Pros, the author retains complete control over every single step of the process, which if you're neurotic like me, it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> they decide what their books will look like and they decide where they'll distribute them through. They decide what the content and layout will be and they set their own price. Aside from distribution fees, authors are then able to retain the entirety of their royalties unless there's a return, which gets into some iffy, iffy areas there. Cons, the author is paying for everything up front and they have to do all the work with no guarantee of return on investment. And if they're a shady author, there's a whole bunch of things like Jen was talking about earlier mm. that can go wrong. I mean, they're trying to tamp down on that. Yeah. So whether or not they're successful, I mean, these have been conversations the world has been having for years. All the latest articles I can find were like 2018, 2019. The Verge did a really good look too at kind of the shady practices some of these people indulge in. So I don't know if it's better. It doesn't feel better. It mm. feels like we've gotten even more and more indie and a lot of people are getting kind of buried under the mass. Yeah. I've been thinking how I found new indie authors has been through newsletters from other indie authors. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm really going out and searching for new things anymore or I've gotten rid of Facebook for the most part. So like, I don't see the Facebook ads. Right. So I think it's just really tough to get out there. I think you need a really clear niche. Yeah. So probably the newest indie author I'm into is Mink. 
and that I, I started reading her like three new. years ago. Yeah. No, yeah, I started reading her forever ago. But Alexa Riley still does an email newsletter that I read, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll try it. And she's really famous for having a cat in every single one of her books. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Every single book has a cat. And that's kind of like one of her things. Along Alexa Riley? Like, no, 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 no. Oh, Mink. Okay, yeah, okay. Mink. No, Alexa Riley. Like, I mean, they I had a say, cat. Mechanic in, didn't have a cat. I mean, cat. in terms of the heroine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mink has a, a, a real physical cat that's an animal oh, and like okay. a being. Oh, I never realized. Fun. Yeah, but I think you need like a clear way to stand out now. Yeah. It's way too easy to find like some any old thing yeah at least in my opinion no that's fair and Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about like how i discover new indie pub books as well as through social media like through tiktok through Mm -hmm. instagram maybe once in a while if i'm desperate i'll search through amazon or maybe there'll be some suggested things on my kids but it's really hard now to find a good indie my amazon suggestions are pretty on point but i like Mm -hmm. to think that's because i've curated it for what five years now Mm -hmm. um also, I mean, if we talk about cover design, mm-hmm. so many covers look so alike nowadays yeah. that they can just all blur together. Mm-hmm. So I think that being an indie author, like you said, you have to find a yeah. way to stand out. And sometimes that easiest way to stand out is through covers. But it can be so hard to find mm-hmm. that cover design that helps you stand out and still portrays the the genre and the romance subgenre that you're looking at. I mean, at. everybody's using the same models. Yeah. Everybody's using kind of the same background and the same ideas. I guess that it's very hard to make abs different. <laughs> so yeah. I do feel kind of bad for them. Like there's only so creative you can be. I know some people are investing in cartoon covers, which actually I'm starting to come around to. Depending on the cartoon cover, some of them do look really good. And I get that it's a way to stand out from the crowd because it's very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just found one. I don't think it was a romance. It was a fantasy. We had a chicken on the cover. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's it. I'm sold. That's my niche right there. Mm-hmm. I like it. But yeah, it is it is very difficult. Indie is not for the faint of heart. Publishing in general is not for the yeah. faint of heart. I really don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, again, there's really no right or wrong answer. Whatever path you choose, mm-hmm. we here at Raging Romantics support you as long as you're not being a shady fellow. Don't be shady. And we if you will. just want to write and don't publish, write yeah. fan fiction. If you want to write fan fiction, <laughs> yeah, if you want to just that keep way easier. notebooks in the back of your house, if you just want your best friend to read it, more power to you. Yeah. You are an author as soon as you finish a book. You're good. You're good. You're a writer as soon as you start writing a book. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last couple minutes here, I thought Jen and I could have a, a frank discussion about some of the issues that we see throughout the entirety of the publishing sphere. Mm-hmm. This doesn't solely apply to Romance Landia, but I think that romance authors do definitely feel the sting of a lot of these issues in particular, mm-hmm. especially those authors who are writing diverse and inclusive stories. Which is basically just romance and YA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have been seeing some stuff in mystery. Now that I've been kind of looking for yeah. it, but it's still, it's, they still make it look like romance. You know, it's like a lot of cartoon covers. It's a lot of, I have to reread it to make sure, oh, this is actually a mystery book yep. with maybe like some romance, a little tiny bit of it. And it's not a romance book. Like they're starting to blur together even more in some ways. Mm, that cozy mystery romance yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, honestly. And as somebody who orders books for the library, sometimes I have to squint at the bicep descriptions mm-hmm. and be like, are you... Are you sure that that's what that is? Yeah. I don't know. So it it gets fuzzy. But one of the biggest issues I have seen, especially talking about indie and like Amazon, Mm -hmm. is flooded markets. The market for indie pub is so just 
inundated with books right Mm -hmm. now. Like Jen and I were talking about, as consumers, it can be hard to find something you want to read. Well, okay. Can you define what a flooded market is, though? I'm not... So it is just like a... Like, it's just a ton of books. Yeah. Okay. And it's... But is it books of the same theme, the same type? It can be books of the same theme. It Mm -hmm. can be books of the same type. So, like, when you go on Amazon right now and you type in paranormal romance, you're going to get thousands upon thousands. Even just in Kindle Unlimited, Mm -hmm. thousands upon thousands. I guess it's... I know it's an issue, but at the same time, I don't see a solution for it. And Mm. it's like, it's also a good thing that you have so much and that so many people have that option to upload their own stories. I do have to apologize. We had some technical issues recording during this part. Um, So just, I'm just going to sum up just the rest of the discussion that we had in regards to flooded markets in publishing. In short, flooded markets are both good and bad when it comes to publishing, especially indie publishing, because they're good as a consumer because we have so much option. We have so many options. We have so many different types of books we can read. We can get our hands on books very easily, at least here in the Western world. Um, We have a lot of different methods and ways to access books. Um, It's also good coming from an author standpoint because authors have um, all of these options that they are able to pursue um, either if they don't want to pursue traditional publishing or if they just couldn't, for whatever reason, get their foot in the door through traditional publishing and are just frustrated with it or whatever the choice, um, whatever choice an author wants to make, there's a lot of options. However, it can be a bad thing because, I mean, if we look at like a traditional economic model, right, saturated markets are, market saturation um, is always going to be at a disadvantage because Technically, a saturated market will produce no d- new demand, which I don't think is necessarily the case with books. But the customer base, if we look at basic economics again, the customer base has been served through an available supply already. And so there's really no new demand. I don't think that's necessarily the case with books because there's always going to be interest in something new, especially with romance books. I mean, look, we had all of our aliens, that market got saturated, and now we're moving on to monsters, which Jen and I are both so excited over. So Flooded market, saturated market, both good and bad. I don't think that there's a correct answer, but um, it's just something to be aware of, especially when you're out there looking for a new read. Um, But next up, let us talk a little bit about gatekeeping. Issues of gatekeeping. Um, We have shady agents and publishers who are not wanting, quote, unquote, certain books to make it to the market. I mean, honestly, with gatekeeping, way worse than the certain books or whatever. I think it's worse than like connections. Is if yeah. like how did Lena Dunham get famous if Ugh. her mom didn't know the right people? Yeah. Um. Next up, we have issues of inequality, which I think is probably one of the biggest persistent issues in every single aspect of publishing. Authors of color, diverse identities, bodies, abilities, sexualities, women authors, authors of minorities, basically every person who doesn't fit a white cishet mold faces a lot of struggling in the publishing world, especially in regards to traditional publishing. This can be as minute as microaggressions, like, are you sure you want that in your author photo? That was an instance when an author had an afro and they were like "Mm, you should straighten your hair and not have an afro to things like hashtag publishing paid me which revealed that on average with authors of color make significantly less than white cis especially male authors for instance jesmyn ward who is black and also the first woman ever to win two national book awards for fiction had to quote unquote wrestle her way to a hundred thousand dollar advance while chip creek a white male author got an $800,000 advance. 
almost a million dollar advance for his work, Cape May. Honestly, I've never heard of Chip Creek exactly. in my life. Cape May has a Goodreads rating of 2.98 and reviewers hate it. Mm-hmm. Like Ward, I hear about all the time. Yeah. I don't know who this Chip guy is. Um, Sing Unburied Sing is by Jasmine Ward. That yeah. one's won prizes and frequently, mm-hmm. I yeah, think it's a big it was deal. Oprah, I mm-hmm. think, had it. Um, but Men We Reaped, which is the one that Jasmine Ward had to like fight for that advance, has mm-hmm. a 4.28 rating and readers recommend it as gorgeous and heartrending. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this forever, and yeah. we're going to talk about it forever, 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 basically. Forever <laughs> and ever. No singing. Nope. <laughs> I mean, publishing is super white. I think it actually is pretty female, though, from what I've read, depending yeah. on the genre. Now. now it is. I mean, it's iffy on the genre, but it's still very much romance and YA and maybe children's books that care really about being progressive. The others kind of are still have some ways to go yet. I don't know. You just got to wait for some people to die at some point. You gotta make sure that it stays trendy. I hate that. I mean, it's gross. I don't like saying that I have to hope that this is trendy forever because as soon as it's not, they're gonna go right back to the way it used to be. I just don't like it. We're being realistic today on the podcast. I just don't like it. I really don't. Anyways, last but not least, I wanted to talk about vocational awe and quote unquote real Mm -hmm. books. Um, there's been this traditional view, and Jen mentioned it at the start of the podcast, um, traditional view of authors and books that if they're not published through one of the major no. publishing houses, then they aren't quote unquote real authors or real books and they aren't good, mm-hmm. to which I say baloney. I really wanted to talk about vacation law in terms of authorship and this idea of you aren't a real author unless you're traditionally published. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because everything online refers to vocational awe only in terms of librarianship. That's funny. <laughs> I couldn't find any like authorship questions. I mean, or, like, to articles. be fair, I think those kind of questions go to the public service yeah. job. So like, there's a lot of that too for teachers and social yeah. service. It's basically an excuse to pay us less. Yeah. If we're being honest. Yeah. It is. But I mean, that can, that can be going towards authorship too, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I think there is always a problem... With people saying, oh, this certain category of book and author is the most legitimate. I think a lot about literary fiction and how so many of those books are upheld as like the best, most important like top kind of ten work books to you read. have to read in your lifetime. I read this really great series of essays from the book is called Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud. Oh, yeah. It's a book. I don't have to pay for that. No. So it is, there's this amazing essay in there from Jennifer Weiner who really breaks down a lot of the male literary fiction and why it's so upheld. I really recommend at least reading that chapter, though the entire book is really interesting. And there, I think it's a deliberate attempt. You have to make some books special so that they feel good about themselves. Mm. So it's very much an attempt by the people who read those books, by the people who publish those books, by the people who write those books to and be like, sell See, it. I am way up here yeah. and the rest of you guys are like way down there. I mean, we've seen it in romance publishing for mm-hmm. years. We've always seen the sentiment of romance isn't real books. It's just a, it's just written for women. It's mm-hmm. just about sex. But we talk about all the time that romance is one of the top performing markets in some ways that works against them because when i'm thinking of people who uphold these books they they have such a weird push and pull relationship with popularity where it they i remember reading jonathan franking frank scene got really conflicted when oprah wanted to put his book on her book list because he felt like oh all of her fans won't understand my work and it feels (laughs) like i'm selling out even though her putting his book on her book list got him like millions of dollars it like really exploded his book so it's really interesting they have kind of like 
this relationship they don't really know what to do with where they want to be in this really exclusive club and they want to be special and they want to be like the best of the best we're all supposed to look up to you but the instant they get a little bit closer to the mainstream and to you know these people who might not understand them who might not get it who might like become them they get very much like no I can't do it but I want your money but you're disgusting but I want your money and your attention so in some ways romance because it is so popular it gets so much money I see people kind of making fun of it even more because of that it's like well look it's all it's all this simple-minded stuff for people that just like want to turn their brain off it's cotton candy it's people who don't want to think critically they just want to sit down and read about these two bozos having sex you know what yeah sometimes Mm -hmm. but also (laughs) half of the romance books I read make me cry Mm -hmm. I cannot talk about the last literary fiction book I read that made me cry Mm -hmm. and I would like to read something that makes me feel something that makes me think Mm -hmm. that makes me go oh my goodness that just hit me right in the feels that made me want to do something Mm -hmm. and I genuinely can't think of the last A fantasy book, yes, but it had a romance subplot. (laughs) And that's not to say anything bad about people who read literary fiction. I think people just have different goals and different expectations out of what they want out of their reading experiences. And romance is very easy to make fun of. You know, just thinking of all that under advisement. And if we're talking about publishing, I feel like indie publishers, indie pubbed authors are also in that same vein I guess Mm -hmm. easy to make fun of because like we talked about like I mentioned before like we talked about in our scandals episode there's nobody double checking their work there's Mm -hmm. nobody like standing back and saying "Mm, I don't think the quality of that is quite what it should be and so it's very easy to stand back on the sidelines and be like oh well all indie authors are just you know they're just fronting their money just so that they can sell their books and you know they weren't the ones chosen no I think that's a thing because at least even the person who's traditionally published book is like the bottom of the charts makes absolutely no money they owe the publisher money they yeah they were still chosen by the publishing house who we look as an ultimate authority on what a good book is and what a good book isn't and the indie was not picked yeah so i do think there is some kind of like exclusivity yeah maybe i don't know if i'd use that word i'm still kind of thinking out loud about it it yeah it makes you think (laughs) it makes you ponder yeah no, I mean, there is so much vocational awe associated with books, and whether that's good or bad, it's just a thing. People like to feel better about themselves for reading certain yeah. things or owning certain books. Sometimes it's about owning the book. Yeah. So I'd be surprised if some of these people even read half the books they own. Yeah. I mean, Jen, both you and I have mm-hmm. numerable books on our bookshelf I that have... we have not read. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. I have about 300 books I haven't read out okay. of almost 1,000. Yeah. So actually, it's not a bad record, I say. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that's sit down and cut them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. And it's just because stuff's on sale when I buy it. Yeah. (laughs) I know I want to read it one day, right? Just, I like the way it looks on my shelf or I want to support the author. There's a lot of reasons to read a book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think vocational awe is something that needs to be talked about more. It needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. more. And it's not a bad thing. Like, it's really cool to put themselves through all of this work to get a story out there that's really important to them and speaks to them and really hope that it touches somebody else too. I think that's amazing, especially when we listen to some of the author's stories of like how they struggled for years to get this book passed and get this book on the market. I think it is something that should be really appreciated. I think we get into kind of concerns when it's like, well, I'm better than you. That's always kind of an issue. 
And I think also if we're going to talk about vocational and the fact that these traditionally published authors struggled for years and like worked really hard on perfecting their submissions packet and like getting the right agent and the right publisher, we also have to recognize the vocational of being an indie author who is putting all this money and all this work and all of this design into doing everything themselves Mm -hmm. and into creating, hopefully creating the best package that they can to then sell on. Yeah, because I was thinking we are taking, we are taking a lot of this at good faith. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people that will just see indie publishing as oh this is a quick way to make a buck if i do all these really shady things so i hope most people are deliberately putting out their best work and have a story to tell and want to make people happy or want to make people cry or want to make people do something but chance carter and some other people were just like nope i'm gonna make a lot of money you know what else about chance carter what before he came out as chance carter he was writing under a female name and he said it was, oh, I'm writing about all my female fantasies. But the more he wrote, the more rapey he got and oh. the more, like, kind of gross and disgusting. So somebody Ick. actually doxed him and was like, no, this is not this person. This is Chance Carter. So that's when he made the switch to his uh, bad boy writing bad boy romances. Of course. So just of as well. Of course he did. Just as well he's gone. <sighs> well, I think that sums up. An, an interesting discussion with no answers. No, I mean, we, we very rarely have any answers. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the fact that romance is awesome. Yeah, love romance. And authors, mm-hmm. as long as you are not a shady author like mm-hmm. Chance Carter, you are also awesome. You are awesome. great. I wish you much success. I hope you're great. I hope you figure out your niche or your publishing or your marketing or your yeah. whatever strategy. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, book publishing is a monstrous industry to basically wrap everything up. It can be hard to wrangle into even just these handful of episodes. We here at Raging Romantics are incredibly grateful to the authors who took their time out of their busy schedules to talk with us about their experiences and about their books. Christina and Lauren, thank you so much for all of your insight in tradi- into traditional publishing. Don't forget to pre-order their book, Something Wilder, which is available May 17th. It is personally Raging Romantics recommended. Um, you can also put it on hold through your library system now or call your local library and convince them to order it. Thank you also to Carol Opolinski, a.k.a. Carrie Nichols, and her advice on getting an agent and getting published with Harlequin. Next week, we have an episode with Tracy Brody, and she has quite the story to tell us about the world of self-publishing. And last but not least, you are also going to hear from local... Um, Central New York local hybrid author Nikki Greenwood in the first June minisode when she talks about what it's like to publish between the different publishing models. Yeah, thank you guys for everything. It was really fascinating getting to talk to them, and I really hope our listeners appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, Jen, what are we talking about in June? Oh, we've got a really cool interview coming up with Tessa Bailey. So you definitely do not want to miss that. She's going to talk about her new book. It's going to be really cool. Thank you so much to Tessa Bailey. I can't, like, we're not worthy. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. I (laughs) love her Mm -hmm. so much. And yeah, we're going to be talking about romantic suspense, which is something that, I don't know, I feel like sometimes it's not... Talked about a lot. Yeah, romance. we'll see. I don't know what it's going to look like. I almost <laughs> never read romantic suspense. I just wanted to talk to Tessa Bailey. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was all a scheme to, like, to talk to her. <laughs> so now we got to figure it out. Shh, don't admit that. <laughs> it's flattery. It is. It is. It is blatant flattery. That's how much I wanted to talk to her. I was like, all right, I don't know about this, but we'll figure it out. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. And Jen, what do we always say? Rage on! Bye, guys. Bye.